we got up there, this guy with an axe threatened to kill us because we were white, me and this other guy. So that was a bit sketchy because we were literally alone. And then these two guys came out with axes. Now, one of my key values in life is adventure. If it's adventurous and has potential to challenge and stretch me a little, I'm in. But how can we inject more adventure into our lives when many are in lockdown and dealing with enough already? And how can already adventurous people deal with the epic slowdown in life and the mental challenges that come along with being relatively isolated and with too much time to think? Well, today we speak to Sadie Whitelocks, an adventure expedition travel writer and photographer whose adventures span from record-breaking dinner parties up Everest to Great White Shark research expeditions and everything in between. I'm looking forward to this one, so let's dive in. What's up, everybody? Scott Radford here. Welcome to the Performance Hackers podcast. We're here to help you regain focus, perform at your best and kickstart your next adventure. And today, well, it's all about adventure and what we can do to live with a little bit more in our own lives as we speak to an expedition travel writer and photographer, Sadie Whitelock. Sadie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. No, Thanks for having me. Now, adventurer, expedition, travel writer and photographer is an annoyingly cool job title. <laughs> How did you get into adventure travel and writing and photography? Is adventure something that you've always done or is there a particular moment that got you into this? My great uncle was really adventurous. So he ended up going to Papua New Guinea as a teenager and never returning home. So I heard all these these stories as a kid of my crazy great uncle. And he was also an archaeologist. So at home we had Stone Age axe heads he'd found in fields (laughs) and arrowheads. (laughs) He's like a pretty cool guy. So yeah, from being a really young kid, I remember playing with all these things that my great uncle had found and hearing these stories about him being overseas. So I think that really inspired me as a child. And then I never really did big trips with my parents, but I went to Bali when I was about three years old or something. And I think a lot of people say kids don't remember things if you take them away traveling when they're babies or really tiny. But I think it really does have an impact if they travel when they're really young. Was there a particular moment that got you into committing to this line of work? Like, How did you even cultivate that opportunity to get into this? It sounds like the sort of career that people make up to impress people. It's like super cool. How the hell did (laughs) you get into it? How did you cultivate that opportunity? So I went to university and studied journalism. I remember when I went to interviews at university, everyone said who their favourite writer was. But I chose journalism because I have so many different interests. I love supercars. I love ballet. I love playing the piano. And I thought if I was a journalist, I could dip into every world. You could write about everything, you know. With journalism, I guess you just start out doing mainstream kind of stuff, lifestyle. And being a female, I found myself, I was always placed within fashion writing and things like that. So I did that for quite a long time. And then I guess you just find your calling. So I've always enjoyed travel and I love people and I love different cultures. So I guess I kind of ended up channeling my energy down that route, but it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. I guess when I set out in journalism, I didn't even dream that I could do what I do now. I didn't even know that was really an option. I just, I remember working on a local paper and writing about cats stuck up trees and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) So where did that first big adventure opportunity come from? I've worked for the Mail Online for, I guess, 10 years now. But I remember when I was living in New York, I took a few months off and went on a camping trip across America. But that was with Trek America. So it was um, like an organized trip. But that was the first kind of more off the wall trip I wrote 
wrote about. So we did 28 states and 15 national parks. And Was that something that they commissioned or was that something that you brought to them? Yeah, I, I pitched it as an idea. I turned up on the day with this group of people and it turned out this couple, they, they were doing it as their honeymoon. So I was like, this is perfect. So I, I think I headlined the piece, Honeymoon Crashes, how I like travelled across America with this like newlywed couple <laughs> and eight strangers. And the, I, the weird thing is the girl uh, really hated camping and he booked it as a surprise. <laughs> Great way to start the wedding. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've done some pretty wacky things. I know we spoke to Neil Launton, who was my first ever guest on this podcast, about some of the crazy wacky things that he's done. And you yeah. actually hold a, a record with him for the highest black tie dinner party up Everest. Yeah. You've also done some crazy things in terms of kayaking through jungles, doing part of the Clipper Around the World Yacht Race, scaling mountains. How do you seek out and define adventure nowadays, having done so many things? What's the adventure or the expedition got to have for you to say yes to it? I, I like a challenge. So I, I like learning a new skill. I believe in constantly learning new things. So for instance, the kayaking expedition, I'd done some kayaking, but not, and, and with the clip around the world, I'd never sailed before. So learning <laughs> how to sail. Yeah, learning a new skill. I like being out of my comfort zone. Also, I really like writing about cultures or meeting people along the way. And do you find that because you've done so many different varied things these days, do you actually find that there's more pressure to go crazier and wilder and wackier every time you pick up a new program? I don't know. It's really bad because you become a little restless. And I guess that's the thing that the whole pandemic has taught, I guess, a lot of people is the arts of slowing down and taking stock and realizing that you don't have to be go, go, go all the time, because I'm very guilty of that, I think, sometimes. You mentioned that, you know, we live in a fast paced world. There's a lot of people that actually struggle to slow down, but mm. we've all been forced to do it over the last year. How have you managed to, for a start, slow down? But also there must be times where you're traveling on your own a lot as well. And, you know, people in isolation or relative isolation at the moment are struggling with the mental side of being on their own and their own thoughts and being able to positively engage their mindset. Like, What have you learned from your period of time of stepping back and slowing down and also your time of maybe isolation when it comes to traveling on your own as well? Well, I, I like traveling alone. I, I really enjoy, quite enjoy it. I love going to the airport alone, for instance, and I love flying. <laughs> I, I love flying for the fact that it's the one place you can switch off. I don't believe in Wi-Fi on planes because I think it's really good being cut off from everything. I think the most important thing is being happy in your own company. And I know a lot of people do struggle with that. I'm an only child. So I think growing up, I had a lot of time on my own. Like last week, I, I just spent a day drawing or painting, you know, and I've got a travel set of paints and, and pencils that I take with me often. It's quite meditative, just sitting there and doodling away or and I love photography so often I find myself if I'm alone just going hiking for the day and just concentrating on taking some nice pictures and another thing is the routine so even when I've been traveling alone I make sure I get up early and I will always go to the gym or something just to get you ready for the day there's obviously a constant pressure to not just think about doing bigger and better things that like we talked about before yeah. but also to keep producing content how do you manage that side of it 
I really enjoy it because it keeps you forever being inventive and thinking of things. So this morning I'm writing something. Someone put me in touch with a chap who's uh, living on one of the Australian bases in Antarctica. So it's really interesting. It's about how he's kind of going to come back into the world after being isolated and not knowing really the true effect of the pandemic or what it's going to be like. And he's been stuck there for the entire pandemic. Yeah, he went out there last February. And I've got another friend. She's a chef on the Norwegian base out there. So I've written about her as well. And um, she's the only female on this base with like seven guys. And, and they're like in their own little bubble. You know, they don't have any restrictions there. So you've got obviously quite a few cool stories to tell about your adventures around the world. Just seeing some of your photos actually are phenomenal. Have you got one particular experience that stands out that was particularly ropey or maybe a little bit too adventurous? I think one that I found personally quite challenging was, so it's a motorcycling thing. I had never done any motorcycling before, but he, the whole premise of his trips are kind of, you don't know anything about what's going to happen over the week. You just are told where to meet and then that's it. So he's like, oh, we're going to get up at 1am and then we're just going to drive for like four hours in the dark, (laughs) these roads in Indonesia. And I remember we went down to this waterfall at one point and then going back up, it was quite a steep track and all like loose rock. And I was going up there on the bike and then one of the tires spun in the sand and gravel. I did the stupid thing of instead of braking, putting my hand on the throttle, (laughs) And then I think I nearly like drove off a ravine. <laughs> both, both Matt and this other guy, it's like, yeah, you're like on the side of a cliff right now. And I just went into a tree or something. I guess going to find my great uncle as well in Papua New Guinea, because again, I went out there alone and I managed to find his daughter-in-law. So I managed to track her down and I was talking with her on LinkedIn and the emails were all quite broken, you know, when you're not really sure if this person is a real person or, and she said, oh yeah, it's fine. Come stay on the island. And I I met this woman who worked for the Australian government out in um, Papua New Guinea, but I met her at this party in London. She's like, oh my dear, like you're not going with armed security. Like she's like, people get raped in the streets. (laughs) She's like, oh my God, where I go? Like you fly to Port Moresby and then I had to get a little plane up north. And then from there I had to get on this cargo boat that he owns, but it's so ramshackle. It's like a rust bucket. So it took, I don't know, five hours to go 20 kilometers or something across the sea. And so I was a bit, you know, I spent a month on this really remote island. And Was English quite well spoken out there? Yeah, the education is, they learn English as well as, um, and the local language is pidgin. There's no electricity or running water and it's home to the most active volcano in Papua New Guinea on that area. But no one really knows about this island. But I wanted to climb to the top of this volcano. So I went with this local vicar and there was this German guy there who was from the Lutheran church because they still send missionaries out there. (laughs) It's a bit bizarre. So we went trekking up there. But then when we got up there, this guy with an axe threatened to kill us because we were white, me and this other guy. So that was a bit sketchy because we were literally alone and then these two guys came out with axes and it's quite threatening because I remember when I was there as well the night before we went up the mountain I stayed with these villagers in a, in a hut and um, we were around the fire at night and it was just me and there were all these guys men around me but everyone has machetes so you do feel a bit uncomfortable If there's any favourite country that you've been to that people must visit or even just an experience that you've had that you just think if you can recommend anything, it would be X. Is there an experience or a country that you have that sticks out? 
I say Antarctica because it's so otherworldly. There's nowhere else on the planet that compares. I've been to the Arctic as well, but there's something about Antarctica which is completely spellbinding. The the scale of the ice is is unreal. The icebergs, the the size of skyscrapers, you feel very small. It's a very kind of humbling place, I guess. The wildlife is amazing. Lots of penguins, very smelly penguins and whales. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird place. And it is more accessible than people think as well, isn't it? No, that's the thing. And also it's for any age. So the expedition ships, like they take around 100 people. I guess that might be less now after the pandemic. But yeah, even if you're elderly, you know, they make the trip. So you can just go out on the little boat. There's companies that offer more active experiences. You can go and climbing if you want, or and kayaking is amazing down there. So yeah, it caters to all different ages. And have you kayaked with whales and things like that? Yeah, I was out there last February. The humpback came in front of us, just blowing. Uh, it's like, yeah, absolutely mental. So beautiful. And what was your great white shark expedition oh, all yeah. about? <laughs> So I'm a member of the Explorers Club and there's a guy, Dennis Santos. He runs a dive shop out of New Jersey. He goes to a place called Guadalupe Island, which is off the coast of Mexico. Every year he runs this expedition and he works with a shark, a renowned shark researcher who's based there. And they do tagging and it's to do with monitoring. And usually there's about six, seven people on the trip. So yeah, I went on one year and yeah, the water clarity is amazing. So it's where the cold and warm waters converge so it's so blue the water but there's so many sharks it's unreal so and it's a marine a reserve this island so we were staying on a liverboard for the week and there was not another boat there uh, yeah it's so peaceful and we were doing a couple of dives a day in in cages I think it was about 30 feet uh but yeah on the last day we had a bit of a I don't know you always know when something's gonna go a bit wrong and there was just a feeling in the air or in the water as well the water was a bit choppy and I could see there were corals it was the clarity had changed a bit and I could tell the sharks were a bit I guess because to tag and things we had used a chum and I could tell they were getting a bit agitated so anyway we were in the cage and then the shark was coming and it missed the chum and where my hands were in the cage its nose came and the woman behind me I've got this picture the shark's mouth is like wedged between the bars just where my hands were and I was like flung back in the cage and people were watching from above and thought the shark had come in but you know, it happened so quick I didn't really realize how far it had come in until I saw the picture that the woman gave to me and I was like whoa and what's your mindset when you have an experience like that is it something that you just think that's enough for that fear is so weird and I, I think if I didn't want it make that experience not want me to go back in the water so I took a few deep breaths and maybe I had a cup of tea and then I, I tried again because I, I didn't want that to put me off I was always really scared of the water as a kid but over the years I, I love diving now and it's the same with the motorcycling thing with Matt I w- was really scared after that but I didn't want it to have that mindset forever you know get straight back into it again yeah with your philosophy behind living with such adventure and challenge and growth are there any parting tips that you have for how people can start to live a little 
little bit more adventurously within their current lives or what they're currently doing now, how do you sort of seek out adventure and how can people get involved a little bit more in adventurous activities? I think I'm a big believer in just starting small. So it could be something really random, like, I don't know, maybe try cooking a Mongolian feast for dinner. You could be adventurous with your food or picking up a new skill. I don't know, go to the park and learn how to slackline or another thing that's become really popular is cold water swimming. So uh, that feeling of losing your breath when you plunge in the cold water, it's really exhilarating. So you could just go to your local park and I don't know, do something like that. The thing about adventure or travel is that beauty of being out of your comfort zone and feeling small within nature. And I think you don't have to go far to do that. I think there's psychology around what a lot of people feel is that adventure, a lot of people are summiting mountains and that is what defines adventure. Yeah. Whereas it's exactly like you said, adventure is just putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. So there's so many different facets to yeah. what you could do to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and try something and explore something different. It doesn't have to be an intrepid island or no. summiting a mountain. And I, I did my paddy course, for instance, for the shark diving in a swimming pool in London. But that for me was an adventure. <laughs> you know, I just went to the local pool every Tuesday, but I really enjoyed that. And it sounds like a lot of your adventures that you take on, you're not particularly qualified when you say yes, or when you search or seek out these adventures, but you actually just do what needs to be done to get you there afterwards. Yeah. So you seek the adventure out first, and then you figure out the way to get yourself in a position to actually go and do it. Yeah. So there has been times I think, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Getting rid of the excuses and just figuring out ways to actually solve the problem. Yeah. I think the worst time I had of that, I climbed Mount Albris and Russia and the week before I broke my toe. And uh, the other thing on that trip was I, I'm very bad at packing. I always pack the night before and it's literally like all the day, the morning of flying and I just throw everything in. I've got a certain kind of checklist mentally that I follow and I, I always travel with hand luggage. On this expedition, I packed my bag quickly and then I arrived in this small Russian village. I opened my bag and I realized I'd forgotten all my underwear. And then I tried going to the little like village market square and all they sold were fridge magnets and like sheepskin hats and I was like this is not going to help me it's quite reassuring to know that even professional travellers are that bad at packing. When it comes to making decisions in the future, how important is the legacy and what that list of achievements and challenge looks like to you? What are you looking at going forward? So at the moment, I am planning towards a North Pole expedition in 2022. So that came about during the pandemic as well. And again, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because I don't think without the pandemic, I don't think I'd have come across the expedition. But it's a woman, Felicity Aston, and she's done a lot of, she's been doing pole expeditions for the past 20 years or so. And I've heard of her through the expedition world. And I think I'd emailed her before, but never heard anything back. And then I saw again on Facebook, she was looking for team members for this expedition. And so I got in touch with her. And so now I'm part of the team. The six women, we're going to be doing research about uh, microplastics and black carbon in the Arctic sea ice. So we're going to be taking ice samples while we're there. And we're working with a scientist who's got funding from NASA. So yeah, it's going to be a really interesting expedition. And how do you pitch yourself for something like that then? Have you got the experience before or is this another case where you're just sort of pitching your passion <laughs> for it and they sort of buy into that and you figure out the rest later? Yeah, I guess that's the other thing with expeditions. The psychology is interesting with groups and when things go wrong, it's really important to have a good mindset within the group. So yeah, I guess I talked to Felicity. I think we we had a conversation before and I think everyone within the group has a similar kind of, I don't know, one lady in the group is an ultra runner and everyone's kind of got a bit of a gritty side to them and, and good energy or whatever. But yeah, I haven't done expedition skiing before. So that's it. That for me is, that was the lure 
gain of the trip because it's a new skill that I'm going to have to learn. We've got training in Iceland in October. That sounds awesome. What would you say you're most proud of? All of the different expeditions that you've done, you've got world records. What would you say, looking back, you're most proud of in your career so far? I guess finding my great uncle and he died last year. So I went before he died and yeah, I, I guess be able to tell the family story and finding the man, I guess, who inspired it all. So it was nice to, to do that. That's a really great way to finish. We finish off with a couple of quick fire questions. You won't have prepped for these. The first one is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self before starting out. Make sure you pack your underwear. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, one mantra or belief that has enabled your high performance life. Nothing's impossible. Uh, one essential habit you can't live without. Music, I think. And that leads us on to the final bit then. What's your go-to tune or artist when you're on your travels or when you're getting in the zone for an expedition or an adventure? There's always one track that will stay with me forever because I ended up doing the New York Marathon one year. And this is before I didn't do a single run before doing the marathon. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> So um, at the time I was studying in, in New York, they said they had some spare places. So they drew names out of a hat and uh, my name came out of the hat. And I even bought my running kit the night before the marathon. And to train, I ran up and down stairs. It's all a bit random. But I remember I put on Milo, Drop the Pressure. But I just listened to that throughout the marathon. Okay, and, cool, um, cool. Uh, before we go, Sadie, where can people get involved, get inspired more than anything about what it is you're doing and how you're coming up with these adventures and getting through it? Where can people go to follow your journey and get a little bit more inspiration for their own adventures so my instagram is isle of sadie not i love sadie it's like the island isle of isle of sadie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great thank you so much for all your insights and inspiration i'm sure a lot of people are going to feel a bit more inspired just to take on more adventure without the qualifications <laughs> and figure out a way to actually lead into that later i really, yeah. really love the insight thank you so much for your time sadie no, thank you I really love that interview and one attribute a lot of high performers have in common is their willingness to commit to the challenge or goal first and then figure out what skills are required to be successful in achieving that later on and I think that's something Sadie appears to have done in abundance. I really love it. Also, when you really define what adventure means to you, you'll probably find that there's more opportunities in your everyday life to inject a little bit of challenge or adventure into your life. Either way, I think the only limitations to how adventurous we ultimately live our lives are from confining ourselves to the activities that we are already skilled or qualified for and a lack of imagination well guys if you're still here thank you so much for listening all the way to the end i really do appreciate it if you've enjoyed the episode please do subscribe to the show leave us a review and come and join the performance hackers community we're over on facebook we're over on instagram the performance hackers where we bring the latest science hacks and habits to get more out of your life and remember you're only one hack away until next time see you then